0: Welcome to Wild Women hosted by Camille and Sarah.
1: This is a podcast about mind, body and pleasure, an honest talk on all things self-care.
0: We discuss issues related to dating, fitness, beauty, mental health. We also discuss stuff about social issues, and we often have interviewees that come up and tell us a little bit about their businesses or their inspirations or motivations or just their journey through some type of recovery. For those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is our second season. Let's dive in. Welcome to Wild Women's. So today we are going to be doing something a little bit different. So during the time of this recording earlier this week, a very shameful and embarrassing part of Canadian history was brought to light. And that was the finding of a mass grave of 215 Indigenous children near the residential school camp loops. So today we're going to talk just a little bit about the residential schools, and then we're going to move into just an easy topic of self-care. We'll give you some self-care tips and give some insight about our favorite self-help books.
1: If you want to learn more about what issues Indigenous faces today in society, you can listen to the episode recording with Kristen Dumont. Lovely. So
0: the... The residential schools in Canada they went on for about 150 to 200 years and what happened is they were run by the government and the churches and they would take indigenous children from their homes and bring them into the residential schools and you know they used the I guess rationale of trying to kill the indian out of the children and assimilate them into what the government and the church deemed as Canadian society. Now what this led to is a ton of generational trauma. What went on in these residential schools included a lot of physical, mental, emotional, and even sexual abuse, and that carried through to generations to come. They didn't have the right access to mental health services, the reserves that they went back to did not even have like basic human needs, such as clean drinking water, and they still don't even have stuff like that. And so, uh, as you can imagine, this trauma that happened from the residential schools continued on through generations to come, and it's still going on. There's still a lot of reserves that are facing issues with mental health, addiction, and like I mentioned earlier, just having the basic human needs. Um, so what most recently happened was they found a mass grave of 215 Indigenous children near the residential school Camp Blue. And it was embarrassing and shameful to Canadian history. And it really shed light to the massive issue of the residential schools and the dangers of these schools. Uh, So Camille's just going to give you guys a few more facts about what, you know, actually transpired over the last 150 to 200 years.
1: Yes, so I want to say that maybe for us settlers, it is surprising and shocking, but for them, they've known this since the beginning because they knew that children were disappearing. They knew that Children were dying in those schools. They weren't coming back and they knew this, and we're just only finding out the general population, the amplitude of that massacre. The residential schools opened in 1831. So the last residential school only closed in 96. And over that period of time, there was a hundred and 50,000 children taken from their home and forced to be in residential schools. And we think because records are incomplete that over 6,000 children died at residential schools. And these schools were run by the church and the government like Sarah said. And the, the goal was to eradicate all aspects of indigenous cultures and the school had poor sanitation. The children were undernourished. Students spent half the day in the classroom and the other forced to work for the school, which is slavery. So those children would spend 10 months a year in residential schools until the 1950. The children would also spend the holidays at the school So many students did not see their family for years. And one thing too is that when they would arrive there, we would cut their hair and they would be forbidden to practice their customs or traditions or speak their language. And they were dressed in uniforms and often given numbers. So that's just to show the dehumanization of indigenous families and I want to say that in 2005 to 2007, the federal government offered monetary compensation to the 18,000 survivors of abuse at residential schools under the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. In 2008, the government of Canada offered an apology to all former students of residential schools in Canada. And in 2015, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada wrote multiple reports in the hopes of documenting the history and lasting impacts of the Canadian Indian residential school system. But let's be honest, not much else has been done since. And like Sarah said, most Indigenous communities in reserves still have poor quality of hygiene, because there's no running water, and giving money isn't going to solve or fix the issue. For example, like even though they're not forbidden to talk their language nowadays, they still don't have many places to learn that language. So that's still a part of the Canadian eraser of the history. And like Sarah said, most recently, the bodies of 200 15 Indigenous children were found.
0: Yeah, and before we have a moment of silence for the those children and the children that have yet to be found, our government has put them through so much trauma, but like the treaties, the agreements, all that, thats that's not part of the Indigenous cultures. You know, we've continuously eradicated them, through our settler ideals and ways and this is definitely an issue that continues to be ongoing in Canada and it's something that we have to work on. So yeah, we will just take one minute now for a moment of silence for those children and the children that have yet to be found. Okay, so now we're going to move on to a bit of a lighter topic. We're just going to be talking about self-care, give you an idea of some of the stuff that we do for self-care. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about some self-help books that we love reading. So I'm going to start with talking about some morning routines. I typically work in the evenings. So my mornings are when I do have time to focus on self-care and do some things that I really enjoy. So typically in the morning, the first thing I'm gonna do is make myself a tea. And I make it the old fashioned way. I use the kettle and you know, let my tea steep for a little bit. I make sure to take all my vitamins. All the vitamins I take right now, they're all natural. So, you know, I take cranberry, I take turmeric, I take reservatrol, everything that, you know, is not going to impede on the natural mechanisms of my body. And then I typically do some reading or some work. And I find whatever I'm doing in the morning, because it's quiet, because I have, you know, the morning to myself, I do find it relaxing. And I do find it therapeutic, even if it's something like writing an essay for school or having to do some work for a business. Either way, I always find it, you know, super relaxing, and it calms me down. And it just puts me in a good mindset for the day. One thing I also enjoy doing is taking just 10 minutes to either meditate or stretch or even just sit there and listen to music. Whatever I'm feeling that day, I usually work out a bit later in the day. So I just like getting my body moving and getting my mind focused for the rest of the tasks that I have to do throughout the day. Uh, So Camille, do you wanna give us some insight about some nighttime routines that you enjoy doing?
1: Sure, I mean, my routine sounds a lot like yours. So in the afternoon, that's when I do any physical activities so I don't have like a boost of energy right before going to sleep so I do usually like biking and then maybe some yoga if I feel like it and then at night I will usually watch a little bit of Netflix and after that I will sometimes take a bubble bath and listen to podcasts or I will read a book and I will always meditate for around like 10 minutes too right before going to sleep to calm myself down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lovely and um, just like you i drink lots of tea too i drink green tea in the afternoon right before going to bed i switch to chamomile or mint tea yeah
0: make sure you drink those herbal teas before bed or else you're definitely not going to sleep very well. I've definitely made that mistake once or twice. Um, but whatever <laughs> it happens, right? And so we also want to talk about kinds of self-care. So obviously there's you know the regular type of self-care like we talked about that's you know very mindful and it seems really nice and it seems really calming and relaxing. But there's also types of self-care that a lot of people forget about. And those are the types of self-care that typically happen when you are go, 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 when you are going through the motions of your regular life. So the first aspect is just physical. And like Camille said, you know, she does some biking or like I do some stretching during my self-care routines and then I'll do my workout later on. But there's also like the idea of understanding, you know, what type of physical movement you want to do. And one thing that I know that we've mentioned in in one of our earlier podcasts is the difference between movement and exercise. And with that comes the idea that you're listening to your body, you're not always doing hard exercise, you're not always doing hard movements and so on. What you are doing though, is realizing what your body needs that day. So if your body just needs to stretch, then do a stretch. If your body just wants to do some yoga, then do some yoga. But if you feel really good, you have a ton of energy and you want to run hills or do say a really hard weight training workout, then do that too. But don't beat yourself up too much about you know, having to do hard, intense exercise all the time. At the end of the day, you want to build a life that's consistent, and a healthy lifestyle doesn't always include intensity.
1: Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, that physical also includes if you are taking things such as alcohol or drugs, if you are dieting, so your nutrition, and like you said earlier, like any supplements. So it's anything that encompasses your physical well-being. And one thing that people do forget sometimes is check in with your doctors once in a while. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, especially for women, getting blood work done is so, so vital. A lot of the time when it comes to women, we do have our periods, we do have our menstrual cycles, and a lot of women easily have low iron so blood work can just give you an idea if you're feeling like you're you have low energy or you you just you're sleeping more then maybe it's an iron issue and it means that you need an iron supplement and the way to figure that out is by going to your doctor and getting blood work done Mm -hmm. and Camille you touched on alcohol and you touched on dieting a little bit as well and yeah i think during this time especially during summer when everyone wants the quote-unquote hot girl body or whatever it's called they are dieting but it's also the summer so they end up drinking and the impact that drinking can have on your body when you're already in a caloric deficit is it's just awful like don't just don't do it like if you're already losing nutrients, alcohol has zero nutrients, like none. If anything, it has the opposite. It's going to reverse any nutrients that you do have in your body, especially if you're drinking on a diet so you don't have any food in your stomach. Well, like you're going to end up being sick and then you're losing even more nutrients. So I definitely want to, you know, explain multiple times that dieting and drinking is just a recipe for disaster.
1: Yeah, and one thing that people often forget as well, which is totally on track with this, is drink enough water.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, drinking water is key, and drinking water, it even balances your hormones. If you're not drinking enough water, then a lot of the time you'll have issues focusing, you'll have energy issues, your hormones might go off too. So you, you're, drinking water just keeps your body in homeostasis. It keeps your organs functioning properly. It makes sure that you're able to absorb the nutrients that you need. And it keeps you hydrated, which helps with your energy, it makes your skin better, it makes your thinking clearer. There's not, I couldn't name all the good things that water does
1: for you. Mm -hmm. So the next one is emotional self-care. So that means that you connect with your emotions and process them in healthy ways. And again, healthy ways
0: healthy ways yeah so this is something that I always struggle with I'm really good at shoving my emotions just under the rug for a little bit to the point where like they start to boil and then like if I don't keep keep a good eye on it then I'm just gonna explode so ways to avoid that a lot of the time the best way to do it at least for me, is to find someone you trust and to find someone that you can talk your emotions out with. Mm -hmm. Now, if your emotions are coming from uh, like mental health issues or a situation that was rather traumatic, you might want to seek out a professional for that. We will be giving some resources at the end of this episode, but ultimately there's a lot of ways to handle your emotions in a healthy way and using, you know, like, healthy self care routines can help with that a lot right so meditation yoga um, movement Uh, i'm i'm never going to suggest just exercise because as you know someone who has dealt with an eating disorder before exercise for me can easily turn into a self-destructive thing so I really you know, emphasize the idea of movement instead, whether it's yoga, stretching, that kind of thing, and music. Music for me is amazing. I love just listening to music and you know, thinking things through.
1: Mm-hmm. And one thing, too, that is really helpful is dancing. It moves the emotions through your body in a healthy way. Mm-hmm
0: yeah yeah no dance is amazing i can't say enough good things about dancing i was a competitive dancer for so long and even though you know i was competing and so on like dance was so therapeutic for so many years of my life and um there's a lot of doctors that have even started using dance to you know help their clients whether or patients whether it's for emotional issues or even physical issues, because dance can be as intense or as relaxing as you want to make it. So it's a great.
1: Arts are another great way to do that as well. Um, Either painting, drawing, writing, those are all great ways to deal in healthy ways with your emotions. The next one is mental self-care. So it is quite linked to emotional self-care. The difference is, this is really about your psyche and your psychology. So that also means like, how can you stimulate your mind? So maybe like read a book or do Sudoku. I don't know, little things like that. And how can you cultivate a healthy mindset? Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so this could also include you know just gaining knowledge whether it's gaining knowledge about yourself through doing you know online research or like Camille said reading a book or this could even include you know going to courses or taking Mm -hmm. you know master classes or even going to university or college all those are ways that you can honor your mind and gain more knowledge and ultimately what that's you know, doing is that's firing different uh, neurons in your brain. It's getting it moving. And the best thing that you can do for yourself is always consider yourself a student. Always know that there's room for improvement and you can always gain more knowledge in one way or another.
1: Oh yeah, I 100% agree with it. When we start to think that we know everything, that's when we're doomed. Yeah. Self-growth is so healthy for your self-esteem and just having a healthy brain. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it ends up being rewarding too, you know, like when you are able to learn certain things and when you do actually understand things or when you're able to write a paper on something, like all that can be extremely rewarding to yourself and it can build your confidence too
1: mm-hmm. so the next one is social self-care so that means that you nurture the relationship you have with others
0: mm-hmm. yeah so this can be a really tough section because people your relationships like all that's amazing Human interaction and your interpersonal skills are a great asset to have. But the issue that a lot of people run into is they don't know how to set healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. You can only give so much to someone and not get that back. And setting healthy boundaries, it takes some time. And I honestly think that everyone has to reevaluate their boundaries probably a couple times a year. Because people change, people grow. And you have to realize when you're outgrowing someone or maybe someone's even outgrowing you. And being able to understand where you can draw the line in your relationship is so, so important.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think this has been one of the type of self-care that's been the most affected by COVID because we haven't been able to keep authentic relation as easily with other people so like hugs it releases the hormone of happiness when you give a hug to someone and so we haven't been able to do that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and that hormone of happiness is serotonin that Camille is talking about and hugs like she said are so so important for that and we haven't been able to do that for god knows how long so yeah being able to figure out different ways that you can have those social interactions and have those relationships is, is vital and stuff like zoom stuff like facetime it's perfect for that or even you know hanging out outside like do whatever you can to be able to continue having those human interactions that you typically had before covid humans are social creatures so this as actually like part of our foundational needs to survive. Being with other people is something that gives us fulfillment, is something that is rewarding, is something that helps us feel better. So all I can say is be very careful not to isolate yourself and to continue those social interactions as much as you can.
1: Yeah, I wanna say an interesting fact I learned in my psychology classes. So in, I think it was Russia back in a while ago when the experiments were starting in psychology, they did an experiment with babies and they discovered that even though they were feeding the babies, the scientists weren't allowed to touch or hold the babies. And what did you think happened? Those babies died. And yeah, it's awful, but that's how we got into understanding why it's so important for humanity and also having boundaries with experimentation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a reason why there's a lot of ethic courses in mm-hmm. school these days so that those types of situations don't happen. But like what Camille said, what that study did is it really showed the gravity of meeting You know, human connection, right?
1: Mm -hmm. The next one is financial self care. So, basically, activities that allow you to have a conscious relationship with money. And I say this because I think that our mindset around money is as important as having money.
0: Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And especially, especially right now during COVID, a lot of people are turning to online shopping mm-hmm. to handle some of their emotions. And that's obviously abusing money. So I guess the best thing to do is just be mindful around what you're paying for and why you're doing it. You know, like are you doing, are you paying for something because you're upset or are you paying for something because you actually need it? Now, I'm not saying to avoid any luxury. Like if you want new clothes, get new clothes. If you want a new purse, then get that. But there's a way to do it consciously and there's a way to do it mindfully. You don't want to end up being that person with 12 outfits in your closet that still have tags on them. Honestly, I've never had a huge issue with money except for eating out. So COVID was really, really good for me. It kind of just, you know, made me realize that I don't have to go out for cocktails as much as I was before. But I know that for others, it's been a lot more difficult. And there's also, like Camille said, the idea of, you know, having money is just as important as your mindset around money. And you see it all the time with celebrities you know like how does someone who is worth at one point a billion dollars all of a sudden gets down to you know 350,000 that's just the idea of not having that mindful spending
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i think scarcity mindset also comes into it i will talk more about that in our uh, guest interviews with business coaches so stay tuned for that but yes so also the money I think and I said this before in another podcast in the money but if you do have the ability to give money it is meant to be passed around right it's always good to have savings don't get me wrong on that mm-hmm. but if you can help others I think it would beneficiate everyone. Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah, if you have any type of disposable income, even if it's just $10 a month, if you can give that to a charity, that's that's huge. Um, I will give a bit of a caution. It's just to make sure you do your research on the charity.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, There are some charities out there that you know, there's a lot of the proceeds that go to the people who run the charity so much for the nonprofit. So what I typically suggest or try to do is support the local charities, you know, like the charities that are in your hometown, like send them money directly, because then you know where it's going and you know exactly how it's going to be helping people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, the next one is sexual self-care.
0: Uh, sexual self care. This one's my favorite. Hmm, where to start? First, I want to start with uh, understanding the boundaries of your body. I know that, especially for people our age, there's a lot of people that just go out there, they party, they meet someone, and have random sex with a stranger that they don't remember their name the next day. So, <laughs> Try to avoid that. It sounds funny, and yes, you may laugh about it, but ultimately it's not good for your psyche. It's not good for your body. When your body doesn't actually know what's going on when you're in a state of, say, drunkenness, your body's not totally sure what's happening. And if your body's having something done to it, say, a you know, sexual encounter with someone that you don't know, your body might be kind of out of sync, your body might not understand what's exactly going on, which obviously could lead to other issues such as, you know, I don't think there's a word for this, but it's almost like an emotional rape. You're raping your, your psyche when you're having sexual encounters that you're not totally into, or that you're not totally coherent during.
1: Mm -hmm. And I do want to mention that I think there's a way to have conscious, casual sex.
0: Mm -hmm. Like
1: Sarah said, getting drunk at a party is not that conscious. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But if, I don't know, if you have a partner, and you guys aren't, you know, ready to be boyfriend girlfriend or anything like that but you know your friends and you're attracted to each other then you know that's that would be a good way of having casual sex with someone that you trust someone that you know and basically just someone who you know will respect you and your body
1: Mm -hmm. such as like fuck buddies or things like that Yeah. yeah yeah
0: for sure And the other part of sexual self-care is um, fulfilling your desires and fulfilling your needs. A lot of the time, especially for women, we don't speak out a whole lot during sexual encounters. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's important. It's important for a woman to have an orgasm just as much as it is for a man. Just because your male partner has had an orgasm doesn't mean that the sex is over. You know, you deserve to have an orgasm too. And you should be able to voice that to your sexual partner at the time. And if you can't voice that to your sexual partner, it's a very good indicator that maybe you shouldn't be having sex with that person.
1: Mm -hmm. And I do think that sexual self-care also comes back to knowing your own body, like body literacy, knowing what it looks like, what it feels like, you know, self-explorations, self-pleasure. Um, and basically self-intimacy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And for a lot of people, that's the hardest part, you know, like being able to like have sex with oneself first, being able to look at one's own sexual body and tell them that, you know, tell yourself that you are sexy, that you are beautiful, that you are worthy. And those things are so so important. And it cascades through the rest of your sexual life. Your sexual. Life starts with you, just as anything else does. So, being able to um, consciously look at yourself in, you know, a sexy way or sexual way is a great place to start when it comes to respecting your body and teaching other people to respect your body as well.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. But
0: yeah. So the next one is professional. Oh, Camille, get us started with this one.
1: Okay, so the activities and actions that support feeling balanced and fulfilled in your career. Now, that could also mean like going to school for some people. Uh, but I think part of it is also having boundaries. So if you are done work, like not checking your emails. Now I do that all the time. And I don't think that's good boundaries, but I'm working on it. and other stuff too is like if you're being called to go to work or stay longer hours like how can you stand up for yourself
0: yeah so like Camille said set, setting boundaries in the workplace is also important like when it comes to if a employer makes you want to stay late or work extra hours if you can do it if you want to do it then great do it but understand that you were given a schedule And that set schedule is your set schedule. You do not have to stay longer if the schedule wasn't given to you 24 hours beforehand. So all I can say is educate yourself on your rights. Mm -hmm. Realize, you know, employers only have so much power over you. And you should still be able to stand up for yourself if you're feeling, you know, burnt out. If you don't want to stay late, then don't stay late and be able to voice that. So, yeah, just make sure that you have boundaries. Your voice is important. You deserve to feel heard and your employer should honor honor that and respect that. And it also helps you avoid burnout. Burnout happens so much in our society because we're constantly valuing the idea of always being busy, of always being on the go and always doing the most work and being the most tired. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> I don't know why our society has gone to a point where all those things are good, but we definitely should try to avoid burnout as much as possible, reducing your stress levels if you're feeling close to it, do more things that you actually enjoy, take the time to have time with your friends, to honor your social relationships, all those are great ways to avoid your burnout.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes that might relate to having boundaries in your personal life, for example. Let's say you're trying to be sober, right? You had an addiction. And then work parties and there's alcohol. Maybe sometimes it's even like outside of work, but related to work that you need to put boundaries in. Um, Another example for me, like recently at work, it's been really triggering because there have been a lot of talks about diets and weight. So I've had to stand up for myself and... I plan on talking to my boss about it and so little things like that it can be really scary but that are the best thing for your mental health.
0: Yeah 100% like even even for me and my job we don't talk about you know diets
1: specifically
0: but I work in a restaurant and I'm in my training phase so there's definitely shifts where we're trying a lot of food and it's hard enough for me to be out there dressed in these like nice sexy outfits, let alone having to eat in front of a dozen other people. So me being able to figure out whether or not that's worth it for me is something that's important. I should be able to talk to my employer if I'm not having a good day that day, if I don't feel comfortable with it, I should be able to say to them, look, like, I'm sorry, I, I honestly just don't feel comfortable with this. You know, I've worked really hard to recover from my eating disorder, and I find the situation extremely triggering, I would rather not be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I I say this because in the past, what I would do, especially in these restaurant settings, is I would just drink because during our training shifts, we'd have to try all these cocktails. So I drink to dissipate the anxiety that I was feeling around eating, which in turn, you know, wouldn't actually dissipate my anxiety. It would just make it easier for me not to eat. So all of a sudden, like I'm drinking booze and I'm not eating a whole lot either. Not only is that, you know, raising the eyes of like the people around me, but it's also really, really unhealthy for me. Mm -hmm. So I have to be careful around those situations to ensure that I'm handling my anxiety in a healthy way and to avoid those situations that might be extremely triggering for me too.
1: One thing that I do think it's super important that we talk about is toxic work environment. It's so common to have, people at work often like your coworkers or your boss abusing you mentally and pushing you all the time and putting you down. And that's so, so detrimental to your mental health. So the message that I have for you is if that's the case, first of all, take care of yourself outside of your work. Second of all, if you can try and look for another job or see if you can talk to someone higher up if you don't feel comfortable talking to that person directly about their actions and how it's affecting you. Mm -hmm. Yes. that goes against like HR rules. Now I know a lot of it is like accepted in society and it's not fair and it's not okay, but it's only by speaking up that we're gonna change that like social rule. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. And another thing I do want to touch on when it comes to your rights and stuff like that, especially in the service industry, when you are working in restaurants, a lot of waitresses and servers have certain expectations, I just want to make it clear that you don't have, you shouldn't be forced to wear a skirt, you shouldn't be forced to wear a dress, and you shouldn't be forced to wear high heels, you shouldn't be forced to wear your hair, you know, a certain way, if they, you know, want it down all the time, if they want you to color it like a certain color, you shouldn't be forced to do that. I'm not gonna lie, I got my, you know, description of like the outfits I could wear, and like the um, makeup, and the hair, and stuff, and it even said that we can't have any color other than neutral colors dyed in our hair, which, yeah, yeah, which is not, okay, they cannot fire you because you have, you know, a pink streak in your hair. That's Mm -hmm. against the law.
1: And like you said, it's important to know your rights because some employers are going to try anyway, and they're going to say like, well, that's the rule. But if you're aware that that's not true, you can fight it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for
1: sure. For sure.
0: So I guess the biggest thing to take away from this one is know your rights
1: (laughs) and this is kind of related so the last one is self-care related to your environment so that means living living in an organized well-maintained and clutter-free place so you can rest yeah
0: yeah for sure and so this environment it could be around your home you know make sure that things are tidy make sure that things are appealing to your visual eye Now, I understand that people have different ways of things being tidy. Um, You know, some people literally need every surface to be bare, nothing on it. Other people, they have stacks and stacks of all their things, but to them, it's organized. So if it's organized for you, then that's okay. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. As long as your environment is comfortable for you, as long as it's appealing to your eye, as long as it feel gives you the feeling of freedom then you're in a good environment
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and also depending on like your neighborhood but not everybody has the ability to choose that money related you know yeah
0: yeah um your neighborhood as much as you can like Camille said there's obviously restrictions for some people especially right now when the housing market is the way it is Mm -hmm. but figure out how to make your neighborhood your home, you know, like find a couple neighbors that you connect well with, make your space, make your home a great place to be. And yeah, if you have to drive five minutes or if you have to take the bus for 20 minutes to get to a place where you can have a good walk, then do that. It's worth it. It's important. You should be able to walk in nature somewhere around your house that makes you feel safe, that makes you feel build and that makes you ultimately just enjoy being inside mm-hmm.
1: so I guess like the bottom line message that we have is take what you have and make it the best that you, it can be for you
0: 100 percent. okay so now that we've gone through all this self-cares let's move on to some self-help book recommendations Camille why don't you start us off
1: Okay, so my first book that I'm gonna talk about is Let Your Fears Make You Fears. And I am almost finished, but I started this a while ago. And as you can see, there's a lot of posted in it because uh, it's a book mixed with yoga poses with self-affirmation and with journaling exercise. So it's great, it's all about like self-care And there's also the last part which I'm starting is about more like spirituality. So chakras and all of that good stuff.
0: Awesome. Okay, so the next book that I'd recommend, and this was a book that I actually got from Camille, it's The Inner Fix. So what the authors did was they used the 12 step program, known like typically used in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they apply it to just regular daily lives or daily struggles that you wanna get through. Obviously, fix is the perfect name for it because it's all about self-development, self-growth and self-awareness too. So 100% great recommendation.
1: And what I love about that, it's, it's mostly focused on relationships mm-hmm. and how sometimes we are addicted to our relationships. Okay, so my next book is The Goddess Revolution. It's a book by Mal Walls, and it's all about how to break up with diet culture and to learn to love your body. Now, she also uh, wrote the book Hungry for More. I lent it to someone, but I would say Hungry for More is my favorite one.
0: Uh, The next book I'll recommend is triggers it is a hard copy and i lost the front copy of it it's written by marshall goldsmith and it's all about adult behavior change so adult behavior change is tough a lot of our behaviors a lot of our thoughts values limiting beliefs all those we've been repeating them to ourselves we've been doing them for years and years so to be able to reverse some of those behaviors and reverse some of those thoughts it takes time and this book is a great guide to walk you through how to get through, you know, those adult behavior changes and to avoid the triggers along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And it's actually on my reading list. Now I have lots of books to read, so I don't know when I will actually read it. <laughs> my next book is Am I Ugly by Michelle Elman. Um, it's a journey... Th- through like body positivity and she's a body positivity and self-love activist and the thing that I love about it is it's incredibly real and if you follow her on Instagram you know that she's been through multiple uh, surgeries and so it's really interesting of knowing like the medical side of the fat phobia and diet culture.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. So my next book is a bit of a different type of book. It's called Everyday Legacy, a different type of self-help book. is how I should put it. And this book is actually about living your life as if you're dying. And I say that because it was written by Cody Shuan, who was a funeral director for years. Um, He's actually from my hometown and what he writes about in in this book is focusing every day as if you are building your legacy. So when you pass away, when you die, how do you want people to see you? Ultimately the way people will remember you for how you make them feel, not what you've done. So this book is all about, you know, figuring out what your purpose is, and learning to live in your purpose every single day.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I like that it's someone local as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So my next book is not exactly a self-help book, but it has self-help in it. So it's Overshare by Rose and Rosie. They are YouTubers and a lesbian couple. And so they both struggle with mental illnesses. And so it's really like basically like a diary and it's raw and it's real. I just love them. And so they talk about like mental health, sexuality, homophobia, and obviously like their romantic relationship. That's
0: amazing, I love it. Now this next book, is called Best Self and it's written by um, a coach, an interventionist, a speaker. His name is Coach Mike Bayer and he's even been on the Dr. Phil show quite a few times too. His basically coaching Modalities were put into this book. So what he does throughout the course of the book, it's very action oriented. So make sure you have lots of time when you're going through this book because you're going to be writing a lot, but you go through seven aspects of your life. So you go through your personal, social, there's employment, there's spiritual. All in all, there's seven fears that you're going to go through and do all the actions of it. Ultimately, it's a book that helps you become a lot more self-aware of what you want and what you need, and it's a great step towards getting to the personal growth that you want to get to.
1: Awesome. Now, for my last book, I mean, I have two favorite books when it comes to spirituality. I don't have the other books with me, but I'm just going to say it's The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. I hope I said that right, but I lent it to someone. So, so today I'm going to talk about Rise Sister Rise. It's written by Rebecca Campbell, and it's really about like the woman awakening the spiritual her spiritual side. Mm-hmm. It's about like sisterhood and community, and listening to your intuition and your ancient wisdom.
0: Amazing. Um, And the last book that I'm recommending, this is more of a book for procrastinators. This is the book for those people who just, for some reason, they just can't be productive. Like they they can get stuff done, but they, you know, let procrastination get the best of them. So they end up stressing out and, you know, having to do everything last minute. This book is for you if you have those issues. So it's called The Productivity Project by Chris Bailey. And he was actually a student from the University of Carleton and what he did is instead of start working after he graduated from his undergraduate degree he wrote this book and so during the book he explains all these productivity methods that he tried the ones that worked, the ones that didn't, and how he recommends that you go about living your most productive but fulfilled life. And what I mean by that is you're getting all the things that you have to get done, but you're being so productive that you're also making sure that you have time for yourself. You have time for your family, for your friends, for the things that you want to do. And he talks about the importance of that balance as well.
1: That's amazing. I love all our books.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's so many more in my book cover, but uh, we had to keep it to a minimum.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in today. And I hope you like this episode.
0: Yes, for sure. And just before we go, I do want to make a couple mental health uh, resources recommendations. So the first one is Mental Health Commission of Canada, they have a website you can go on it with a bunch of contact information and the next one is called healthy minds of canada and this is actually it's also a website but it's also a mental health movement so they have resources and they are also an activist group as well
1: and i will put a crisis line number in the description below okay lovely well have a good day everybody thanks again bye